Well, it is good to be back home in San Diego, and thank you for your prayers as we uh, traveled. And uh, I want to especially thank uh, Pastor Nathan, Pastor Zach, Matt Redlings for preaching while I was gone. I've heard a number of, of, of ways how you specifically appreciated their ministry and the word to you. Um, my favorite comment was maybe somebody who said, you know, it's nice to not have to worry about God's people at Emmanuel being well-fed while you're away. And I know you were well-fed, so thank you, and that's so true. Um, and again, I know that, uh, thank you for those of you who prayed. I know many of you did as we, as we traveled in the steps of the Apostle Paul. And uh, without going into a ton of detail, I'll just say that it was really uh, the biggest joy for me to see all of these aha moments for people uh, who were with us on this trip. Um, and there was so much, uh, somebody made the comment, it was almost like uh, drinking from a fire hydrant, all the things that we saw. So it's gonna take us a while to process all that we saw, but it was really um, great. I'd been to all those places before, but I saw a lot of new things that I'd never seen before. Um, in Rome, for example, one of the great joys for me was seeing some of the places associated with the Apostle Paul that I had never seen before, um, namely places that commemorate where he was uh, held in prison, where he was martyred, and uh, where he was buried. Now, it's the Holy Spirit that illuminates the Word of God to us, ultimately. But uh, all the places that we went uh, and, and were able to see and, and visit uh, somebody made the comment, and I think it's very true. It was like uh, we read these things in black and white uh, and, and, and in the scriptures, but now when we read them, after having been to these places, it's like we're seeing them in, in living color. And so, um, again, it's just great to be back. Thank you. Uh, we weren't back long before uh, Kathy, we got a call for Kathy to maybe help out babysitting our uh, one-year-old grandson in Kansas City. So that's where she's at this morning. She said, I may as well do it while I'm not yet uh, uh, over jet lag. And then I, I'll just be, she said she was up from 12 midnight to two with the little one-year-old. So anyway, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 67 and take out your notes from the worship folder. Um, up to now, we've covered nine psalms, including today, and eight different types of psalms. Uh, and there are a lot of different ways to categorize the psalms, uh, and I don't know if I ever, like in looking at different commentaries on the psalms, saw two that were exactly the same. Um, but there are around 11 or 12 different, uh, say a dozen different types of psalms, and in this series, we're going to be looking at 11 of those different types of psalms. So that was kind of behind why we chose uh, the psalms that we did to look at. You have a list of what we've done so far on the outline. We're not going to go over it, but today is a psalm of mission. You know, it's interesting that Martin Luther, who did a voluminous work on the psalms, did not make one comment on Psalm 67. On the other hand, one of the most highly respected pastors and commentators that I know of today that I love reading his works, John Stott, um, included this in his list of favorite psalms. And so, uh, 
You know, one of the, the joys I have of being a pastor, and there are many uh, that I love so much, but is seeing changed lives. Uh, lives that God gets a hold of and transforms. Um, when God does that through his Holy Spirit, when he enters your life, there is transformation that happens. And when we continue to grow in grace and knowledge, as the Apostle Peter prayed for the people he was writing to, we see God do even more changes in our lives as we become Christ-like in our characters. And when we read um, Psalm 67, it's talking about a person who's blessed, a person who is made right with God, whose life no longer conforms to the ways of the world, but is being transformed into a life that pleases God. Um, sometimes we get frustrated because we want to see changes in our lives more quickly. We want to see uh, changes that are deeper in our own lives. And uh, being transformed, having a life that's transformed is a lifelong process. The Bible calls it sanctification. And uh, we want to see those changes happen and sometimes we can get discouraged when they don't happen as fast as we'd like. Uh, Christian psychologist Henry Cloud describes the changes that happen in our lives this way. It's on your outline. Uh, transformation requires grace plus truth plus time. And so my encouragement to you is stick with it. Don't give up. Uh, keep striving to spend time with the Lord and, and in his word and in prayer and uh, realize that it is a lifelong process that the God of the universe is at work in your life to transform you to be like his son, Jesus. Psalm 67 begins by talking about that blessed life, the life that has been transformed ultimately by Christ. Um, to be blessed is to be right with God. Uh, Psalm 67 is a prayer for blessing. It's a corporate prayer. And so we need to start with the definition that you have on your outline of blessing. It's a word that we use a lot, uh, that we pray for people to be blessed. But a blessing is a gift from God that glorifies his name, helps his people, and through them reaches out to share God's good news with others who will in turn praise and worship and glorify his name. So blessing is a word that we could follow all the way through the Old Testament. Um, and so, actually, before we get to Psalm 67, I just want to look at a few verses in Genesis uh, so that we understand. They're, they're listed there. You're welcome to look them up or just listen. It's just going to be very quick. But um, the word for bless or, or blessing is significant, and this is, again, on your outline. It's used over 400 times just in the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis 1 says, so God created every living thing and God saw that it was good and God blessed them. And then in, a few verses later in Genesis, uh, God creates human beings. And then verse 28 says, God blessed them. God loves to bless what he has created. And on the seventh day, it says God rested. And in Genesis chapter 2, uh, it says God, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating all that, that, that he had done. Um, and by blessing the seventh day, 
God gives us a pattern of work and rest that we can follow, that we can live with. We work six days and we rest. We have a day of rest on the seventh day. Uh, One of the great promises in the Bible, uh, the, the one that shows us this pattern of giving and receiving blessing is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, uh, where it says, I will make you into a great nation, God speaking to Abraham, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And then it says this, and you will be a blessing. And so the idea that it begins with God, the blessing does, being right with God, and then it flows out from us to others. It doesn't stop there. We pass it on. That's our responsibility. That's the joy we have. And so through Abraham and through you and me, we become people who are made right with God through faith in Christ and who are now tasked to spread his word among the the nations, it says. Uh, The problem, and it's a big one, is that sinners that we are, We focus on how we can keep getting more for ourselves and we don't focus on telling others of the joy of knowing Christ. And that's what Psalm 67 is about. So let's read Psalm 67. I'd like us to read it out loud together. Follow along on the outline where we have all of the seven verses. And and let's even turn it into a prayer as we say it out loud together. Let's pray it out loud together. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is God's word for us. So what Psalm 67 teaches us is that God brings us into right relationship with him so that we might be a witness to the world of his grace and his mercy. Um, And the first thing to notice is the connection between God's blessing Israel, that's us in verse one, and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Israel, this is number one on your outline, Israel's blessing the nations in verse two. Uh, So that, verse two, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Now, we could say that God's goal in creation is that he be known and worshiped and praised among all the people of the earth. The the first two verses combine actually the benediction of Aaron and the promise to Abraham. The benediction to Aaron is in number six. It's a, a verse that we often use to maybe close a worship service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And that's mentioned in verses one and two. And the other verse is the promise to Abraham that we read already. 
may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Why? So that your ways may be known on the earth uh, and, and your salvation among all nations. And so God's purpose in the world is that he made us to, to be known and he wants himself to be known and praised and worshiped among all the peoples of the earth. That's why it's so exciting what we were praying for this morning uh, um, among the, uh, the Malayali people. That's so exciting to be able to be involved in, in praying about that tribe being reached with the gospel in this next week. And so uh, that's why we do evangelism so that the name of God can be worshiped. That's why we send our missionaries out into the world, so that the name of God is worshiped among a new tribe of people, among new tribes. And so the principle from this psalm is this, it's on your outline. God never blesses you except that you might be a blessing to others. That's the only reason he blesses us. So that we can be a blessing to others. So. Again, what is the blessing? Ultimately, we can say the blessing is Jesus. He is the blessing. In him, we have the provision of our deepest needs. And that is salvation from the judgment of God from your sin, on your sin. Uh, And this became the Apostle Paul's passion. And a verse that I kept thinking about as we were traveling in the steps of the Apostle Paul through the seven churches of Revelation, through uh, Greece and then Rome, is a verse from Colossians chapter 1. It's the end of the chapter, and Paul says this, and this is from the, the Phillips translation. He says, so naturally, we proclaim Christ. We warn everyone we meet, and we teach everyone we can all that we know about him so that if possible, we might bring every man and woman up to their complete maturity in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says this, this is what I am working at all the time with all the strength that God gives me. That was his passion. Uh, You know, on this trip, we walked nearly 90 miles over these 16 days, and I can't imagine what Paul went through. Uh, You know, he would walk, 20, 30 miles easily every day um, as he was traveling between these cities. And, uh, you know, he, the, 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 the struggles that he had, you know, we think, we get discouraged if somebody, uh, you know, says, are you a Christian or talks negatively about Christianity? Um, but, you know, we, we spent some time walking on the Appian Way and you had to watch where you were walking or you would twist your ankle. I mean, it wasn't like a, it was a, a, a paved road by the Romans, but it, it wasn't a, 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 like a, an asphalt road that you walk on easily. But when you go to proclaim Christ, you know, we, we get, again, we get hurt if somebody says something kind of negative to us. But Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians, I just, as a reminder, here's what Paul went through to share the gospel. This was his passion, to share the gospel. He said, I've been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count. And at death's door, time after time, I've been flogged five times with the Jews, with the Jews 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times. 
and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In, in hard traveling year, in and out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and the sea storm, and betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. That's some of what Paul went through to spread the gospel. This was his passion. And so we need to ask ourselves, is this our passion? We need to have the same passion as the apostle Paul had here. And then the author of this psalm, and we're not sure who the author is, is praying that, and this is number two on your outline, that the nations praise the Lord. And to understand this, I think it helps us to see this in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come, not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. This was who Paul, Paul started off to the Jews. Remember what he said in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but then also to the Gentile, also to the Greek. And so the divine curse is the result of our disobedience. And but this curse has been lifted by the work of Christ on the cross. And that is the blessing that came to Israel and then to us so that the joy of the gospel might come ultimately to us, to us Gentiles. These middle three verses here in Psalm 67, verses three, four, and five are the heart of this psalm. And they focus on the Gentile nations worshiping and praising the God of Israel. So again, verse three, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for, the rule, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. And so the seed of Abraham is passed on, uh, is passed through Jesus and what he does in salvation for us so that even those in the Malayali tribe in Papua New Guinea will hear the gospel when they put their trust in Christ alone for their salvation and are united to God through Christ by faith. So the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis 12 2, that we see repeated in, in the first two verses of this psalm is being fulfilled every time someone puts their trust in Christ. Every time you, when you put your trust in Christ, that, that promise, that blessing is being fulfilled. And the first thing that we're to do when we pass on the blessing, and again, this is on your outline, is to share the truth. The truth is, is like unlimited gold that we have that we can share with others if they'll just receive it. Why wouldn't we want to give that away to everyone? And so verse four says, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. So he's not talking about sharing God's truth in general. Uh, that's not what he's talking about. Specifically, it's to know the one that he is the only the one and true God, that's only him. And that by taking the gospel 
uh, into our hearts and lives, we, are, we will get right with God. We will have salvation. And the key word there in the verse is the word guide. And this is the same word in Hebrew for what, it, what a shepherd does. They guide the sheep. And so the gospel message is how by the grace of God, you can come into a personal and living relationship with the shepherd, the master shepherd, the, the shepherd by grace. And so we're supposed to be sharing the gospel of grace with the people that God places in our path. Uh, those are the people that are in our families. Those are the people that are in our neighborhood. Those are the people that we are in school with. Those are the people that we, we come in contact with every day. That's the people that, that's our world. That's who God wants us to share the gospel with. And so I've said this before, and, and I hope that you've done this and that you're doing this, but I, I want to challenge you again to have a list of like 10 friends of yours, 10 family members who don't know the Lord that you're praying for, that they would come to Christ every single day. If, if, that, if you have that, it's going to make you keener for opportunities to share the love of Jesus with those people. Um, have you ever had someone say to you when you've talked to them about spiritual things, you know, I don't mind you as a Christian believing the gospel, all the things you believe, whatever, but why do you feel the need to convert everyone you talk to, including me? Uh, and why do you have to get everyone else to believe what you believe? Basically what they're saying is, why can't you just mind your own business? You know, if there's anything that ever gives you joy, anything that's a life-changing knowledge, you just have to share that with other people, don't you? You're so excited, you can't keep quiet about it. And if you don't have a passion to share Jesus with other people, if you know that's, if that's something you don't have any interest in doing, maybe you don't have it. Maybe you need that, a, a personal relationship with God. It's more than just head knowledge. It's life knowledge that you need. It's, it's inviting him to be the Lord of every part of your life. And if you're a Christian by name only, you say, yeah, yeah, I was raised in that, I believe it, <clears throat> but that's fine, I'm not gonna be talking to other people about it. But if there's anything that gives you life-changing joy, you want to share it, you need to share it, you can't keep quiet about it. And so you want your family and your friends to see it. You want them to hear it. You want them to know the joy that you know. You want them to have the life change in their lives that you've experienced in your life. I'll give you an example of this. <clears throat> you know, all of my kids, my four children are Padre fans. Um, my second son, Jordan, is especially exuberant about the Padres. But he's exuberant about all of life. That's just him. Um, he was watching the Padres when they uh, clinched a spot to be in the National League playoffs by beating the Dodgers. Uh, aren't we happy about that? And he was just so excited. His wife, Christina, and you need to understand Christina, she's a great wife and a great mom. She tolerates baseball. Uh, she's not a fan. 
but Jordan is explaining all of this to Christina as it's happening. And he was talking to me on the phone and he kind of whispered to me. He said, I think I saw Christina today actually become a Padre fan. <laughs> I, he said, I think she's been converted. <clears throat> and he was so excited about this. And what Jordan was saying to Christina is, look, I know you're not into this, but I really think this time you'll see it. As he explained that, that at least for this year, uh, the Padres playing the Dodgers was a little bit like David versus Goliath. And even if we don't go further, we've at least slayed Goliath. But what happens when you love something? You want to tell other people about it. And what did Christina say to Jordan? She did not say, how dare you try to make me happy with what makes you happy. You would never say that to a friend or a spouse when they're excited about something and sharing it with you. You know, there aren't a ton of Padre fans in Kansas City. Uh, nor in Nashville, where our youngest son Graham lives, who's also a big Padre fan. Uh, nor in Raleigh, North Carolina, where our daughter Laura lives. Uh, and because games are on very late there often, they're texting with each other because they know they're watching. They're texting with me. They're calling me uh, to say, hey, did you see that play? That was amazing. Um, and even I was getting texts from my, my daughter watching in North Carolina three hours later watching the Padres. Uh, but it's it's... You, you always enjoy something more when someone else you love shares that joy. It's almost like your joy isn't complete until you share it with someone. And so to say to a Christian whose life has been changed by the joy of knowing Christ through Jesus that they should mind their own business is like is to ask a Christian to do what you would never ask a friend to do, what you would never ask your spouse to do, to not share something with you that brings them so much joy. With, when anybody's excited about something, they'll say to you, I want you to watch this. I want you to read this. I want you to, to look at this. I, I, I want to tell you about this. To, to share the truth is part of our mission. And that's a particularly natural thing to do, or in our case, a supernatural thing to do. Because it's not just us and our own efforts, it's with the power of the Holy Spirit that we share with other people. And so verse 4 then says that we're also to do justice. That's on your outline. Verse 4, the nations are glad, they're, they're singing for joy. Why? For you rule the peoples with equity. You rule them justly. God wants the nations to also know that he is a God of justice. He will judge the people with justice. Either in hell or in Jesus, we will all be judged. And the joy comes not just from knowing God, but from knowing that someday he is going to come back to earth and he is going to wipe away every here. Every sadness that you've ever had, he's going to wipe it away. He's going to judge the world justly. And he's going to put everything right that has been wrong. And as Christians who know the gospel, we know that true justice will never happen because of some, on this earth, because of some economic program or some political theory or philosophy. 
Christians who know the whole gospel, we know that. We know that our own sinfulness means that we are, we're, we're not utopians. We know there's never going to be an ideal earth. We're not people who think that justice will ever in a major way be brought to this world by some political or military or economic program. We know better than that. What we can do is to fight injustice wherever we see it. So we can have, we have ministries that serve the poor. We have outreaches to the homeless. We, we do those things here. We, I know many of you in talking with you, you do things personally to help other people who need help. We're fighting injustice as we can do it. We take care of those who are struggling financially as we have an opportunity to do it as a church and I know that you do individually. And in doing this, we need to understand what this psalm is saying. It's a foretaste of what we know will be God's ultimate plan for the world. In fact, our goal as a church is that, that every single person be involved in some kind of ministry. We know that, and we've, we've talked about that before. We want everyone to be in a place where they can use their spiritual gift to aid the body, to help the body, to help our community. Some of those gifts happen here on campus. Some of them happen off campus. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that we've, we offer these four classes, and it just so happens that one of those classes that I'm teaching this afternoon is on ministry. And if you've never been to that class, you don't have to take them in order. We invite, I invite you to come and join me this afternoon for that class. We talk about spiritual gifts. We talk about what the Bible says about ministry because we want everyone to be involved in ministry, in reaching out to others. So, enough for the advertisement. That's in verse four that we see that our, and this is number three on the outline, that our motive for mission is grateful joy. We read about Paul's suffering. We read about it. He was so passionate. But his suffering didn't slow him down. Whatever you're going through, and I know that there's a lot of suffering on many different levels in many people's lives, don't let it slow you down in being able to share the good news with other people. And there's still people who suffer for their faith today. A, a friend of mine interviewed a Christian from Iran this week, and, and he wrote about it, and he said, this guy's complete devotion to our Lord challenges my comfortable American Christianity. Uh, he said he's fearful for his life in, in many ways, uh, a lot of the time. And, and the whole of our mission is about worship and praise. It's singing for joy. It's, it's worshiping God. It's praising him for who he is. Verse four, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. That's what's most important here. Even though it's just mentioned once, every commentator I read said, this is the keynote of this psalm. Circle that word joy in your Bibles. It's the, or underline it or highlight it. it is the, that's what this Psalm 67 is about. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. You know, when we leave here on a Sunday morning, <clears throat> it is not about going out and being a light for Jesus at school or work, or in our neighborhood, out of a sense of duty. It's not what it is. We are doing it out of a motive of thankfulness for the love of Jesus. 
out of worship for God because we love him and, we, and he is worthy of our worship. I'll give you an example of this from the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70 missionaries to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to deliver people from demons. And what they're saying, they come back and they're saying, hey, a little bit later in the chapter, they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. What they were saying is, we've got the power. This is amazing. This is really fun, that when we speak in your name, we have power. And Jesus is very stern to them in his response. And he says in verse 20, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. The disciples were excited about how the changed lives reflected on them and how important they were. And then the the verse finishes, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. That's why you rejoice. Now keep in mind, in the first century, uh, they didn't have books like we do today. Uh, We have printing everywhere. There weren't a lot of documents in the first century. There were some, but there weren't a lot. And the only list of names would have been an official registry of uh, of the people that lived in in a particular city. And that's only if they were citizens of Rome, for example. It's not about us. It was very significant to have your name on a list. And what Jesus wanted the disciples to know was to rejoice that they'd been accepted by grace, by the grace of God, that their names were on the ultimate invitation to a celebration in heaven. That's what he wanted them to rejoice about. It's not about us. Jesus was saying, you've got all the honor and all the love you've ever wanted, and and it's because I want it for you on the cross. That's why you have it. It's not something you'll ever lose. You've got that. Rejoice in it. And if you know you're saved by grace, then you can rest in that joy. And then, like with the Apostle Paul, you'll know that it is the love of Jesus that compels you to share with others. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ compels us. It controls us. It motivates us. It urges us. Paul was describing this powerful, spirit-filled motivation that drives followers of Christ to share the gospel in ways that persuade people to live their lives for Jesus. So we can ask ourselves, are we driven by genuine love and affection for Jesus? and his love for the lost, or out of a sense of duty. So before we get to the last point, I want to ask you a question. You know, we're committed here at Claremont Emanuel to sharing our faith with other people, personally. We're committed uh, with our missionaries to send missionaries, to partner with them in reaching the world. Uh, what is the, here's the question. What is the primary purpose of evangelism and missions? Evangelism and missions should result in saving souls, but that's not the purpose. We preach the gospel out of obedience because that's what Jesus told us to do in the Great Commission. And that's why we send people to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, go into all the world. Those are our orders, but that's not our objective. That's not our purpose. Look again at verses five and seven. May the peoples praise you, God, 
May all the peoples praise you. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. And so number four on your outline is that the final goal of missions is to glorify God. That is the final goal. God's plan for missions has not changed since Psalm 67 was written. He still blesses us so that we can bless others with the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Christ and God's grace. Look on your outline of the quote by J. Vernon McGee. He says this, the engine, that's the objective, the motivation, is to glorify God. And that which follows is this, preach the gospel. Get the word out so people can be saved. The whole purpose is to glorify God. That is the engine that is, is to pull the train of every mission program and every Christian enterprise. It is the church that is to carry out God's plan. As a follower of Jesus, we've been given a mission by God. We have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel and the gospel message right where God has placed us. And our objective, our purpose in doing that is to bring glory to God so that others might do the same. I think it's John Piper who says, missions exists uh, because praise doesn't. Worship doesn't. We need everyone to worship. And our mission starts right where we're at. But it doesn't stop here in San Diego. It goes to the world. We're out to bless the world as we send our missionaries out. What does that mean for you? Maybe for some of you, it means you should go. That you should join uh, Chad and Martha. You should join uh, Mike and Lauren. You should join Brandon and, and Rachel in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Maybe that's something God wants you to do. Have you asked God? Have you said, God, I'll, pr I'll pray about this. I'll see if that's something God wants me to do. Maybe God is laying it on your heart to join the long line of missionaries that we've sent out from this church. Well, I want to look at a couple practical implications. Number one, on your outline, again, the heart of missions is worship. That's the main part, verses three to five, the joy in worshiping Jesus, doing all we can to bring as many people as we can to a place where they can worship God. Another quote from John Piper, worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. It is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. White hot is hotter than red hot. It's that hot. It's on fire. And it's not just our missionaries sharing our faith. It's all of us doing that. I, I love the description of evangelism and missions uh, that, that Piper says, bringing others into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory by getting people to know the goodness and greatness of God. But there's an obvious implication there to that idea. And that is before we can bring others into that, we've got to be there ourselves. So are you a white-hot worshiper of God? If you are, <clears throat> then you, God will use you to bless others and to pass on that blessing of the grace of God. But if not, the next question is, what do you need to do to get there? Are you spending time every day reading God's word, allowing God to speak to you? Are you speaking to God through prayer every day? <clears throat> and the second practical implication is this. Effectively, to effectively carry out God's mission requires teamwork. 
Notice that all the pronouns in Psalm 67 are plural. The psalmist doesn't pray, God bless me. It's always God bless us. God never intended for his people, <clears throat> excuse me, to operate in isolation. Throughout the history of the word of God, he has always put his people into communities and expects us to work together. That's one of the reasons we believe in church membership because we know who can be counted on, who's a part of our church family. It's no different today. God expects us to work together. God chose the Hebrews to carry out his purpose in the Old Testament and God chooses the church, the body of Christ, the local bodies of Christ to carry out his purpose here now. And for all of us, we give, in, we, we, we give in support of what God is doing here. You know that's so important for us. That God is working this, as at work in this community for us to share the good news. And the challenge is for each of us to pray. We pray for ourselves. We pray for each other. We pray for our missionaries. We use this as a prayer sheet for us as we go throughout the, the week. And that's why you hear from our missionaries on a Sunday morning. So my encouragement to you is to continue to be intentional about reaching out to your friends, about getting to know our missionaries so that you can pray effectively for them. And if you know Jesus and are blessed by God, that's not where it ends. It continues through us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you for all of the missionaries that we support here. Thank you for all of us and the call to be evangelists. Father, we thank you that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and that all of our deepest longings will come to pass. In the knowledge of that, Lord, we can go into the world to serve as those who love Jesus as Savior and Lord. And we want to do that, Father, out of gratefulness, out of love for you. We want that to be our motivation like it was for Paul. We pray that you would send us out today knowing that we're going to do, uh, and, and just we want to be able to have open doors to, to share the gospel. And Father, um, help all of us to be faithful, to pray for our missionaries. Uh, Mike and Lauren in particular this week is our missionaries of the week, and Chad and Martha. We lift all these things to you now in Jesus' name. You know, I keep thinking of this one verse that I thought of that I shared this morning, and I thought it would be an appropriate way for us to leave here, and that is from the Apostle Paul. So naturally, we proclaim Christ. We warn everyone we meet and teach everyone we can all that we know about him so that if possible, we might bring everyone up to their complete maturity in Christ Jesus. This is what I'm working at all the time with all the strength that God gives me. Amen.